Okay, here we go. One, two, three, four. Welcome to Curious Creative Conversations, an interview series with various members of New York's artistic community exploring their point of view on their work and its impact. I'm your host, Grace Lynch, and today we're outside of the Man-Made Music Studios recording from the beautiful Lincoln Center campus to discuss Lincoln Center International's Global Exchange with its extraordinary producer, Leah Day Van Horn. Hi, Leah. Hello. Thank you for having me. So if you just want to start us off by explaining to those who may not know what Lincoln Center's Global Exchange is. Sure. So it may be helpful to take one step back and mention that I work specifically for Lincoln Center International, Mm -hmm. which is a department here at Lincoln Center that really is focused on advancing Lincoln Center's mission um, externally outside of New York City, um, specifically around the world. So, so much of what Lincoln Center does every day is art for art's sake here on our campus for tourists and New Yorkers alike. And uh, our small but mighty team is dedicated to taking what we do here and extending it um, to other regions around the world in hopes of collectively uh, with other countries and sort of cross-border, really facilitating conversations that help to amplify the role of art and culture worldwide. So as the world's leading performing arts center, we really feel a responsibility to be Um, host of conversations about making sure that art is an active part of public discourse and um, that the arts play a major role in every economy and uh, city and small town and rural village. Uh, so, so really excited about the work that we're up to. And after about four years, we said, gosh, we just have this fantastic network that we've grown. We have these projects we can speak to, uh, but we still feel like on a global scale, art is not being thought of as a tool in the toolbox of how to solve the world's most pressing issues. So, you know, in addition to art for art's sake, how can we really be forcing the world, and really by forcing the world, I mean forcing the folks who aren't thinking about the role of the arts every day to start thinking about, um, you know, giving, giving art and culture a place at the table. You know, we don't think of ourselves as, you know, the, uh, you know, the only tool, but we definitely want to be thought of as one that should and is being used and should be used more. Um, So that's where our knowledge leadership uh, bucket comes in under our portfolio. Last year, September 18th, we uh, launched the inaugural Lincoln Center Global Exchange. Um, And really it's about taking one day to sort of choose to look at art differently. Um, So as a tool, a tool of innovation, and how that tool can be deployed in a meaningful way when tackling mm-hmm. the most pressing issues uh, our world is facing. So we started to think about what time of year this one day convening might take mm-hmm. place, and we said, well, it really should happen in conjunction with the, you know, the time of the year when, when the world's focus turns to New York for the UN General Assembly, for the Clinton Global Initiative. Um, let's spend one day right before those convenings gathering the folks who are coming to New York anyway Mm -hmm. uh, to really get them to think about the role that art can play in the conversations they're about to have. So very often, you know, there will be maybe one panel about music in the back room, you know, Mm -hmm. at those convenings, or the arts will be mentioned or featured in a highlighted performance by Bono on a Saturday night. Um, We think that there's more work to be done about, you know, really... um, bringing art and culture to the to the front uh, the front of the conversation so 
uh, last year in our, our first attempt at this, we brought together just an amazing cross-section of leaders. It is invitation only, uh, mainly so that we can bring together this group of world leaders uh, you know, influencers, change agents, people who have the resources to really move the needle in, in an immediate way. But does that not in some way deviate from the idea that we should be reaching to people who aren't necessarily thinking about the arts at all times by limiting the scope of who can have access to these conversations? Sure. So in terms of access to the conversations, you know, in year two, we're now live streaming, you know, the entire conversation Fantastic. on the Center's website. Um, in year one, because it was a test year and, and we almost wanted to get the idea off the ground, it was important to us to have it be a little more Chatham House rules, give people the freedom to really talk about why or why they don't use arts the way that mm -hmm. they should be. Um, and the thinking is that if we can get, you know, 300, um, you know, real influencers in the room to start, mm -hmm. who, who typically do when they touch something, touch something in a much more immediate and fast way, then the work that they do can actually have a ripple effect um, and it can reach broader audiences. Mm -hmm. It was so, like condensing the experience. Exactly. To a point. But a huge part of our goal is how to get the public on board with this mm -hmm. mission, um, how to get as many ears as possible listening to the conversations that we're having and we're making great strides in year two about how to do that. And how are you building the panel then of people who are going to be speaking? Mm -hmm. Is there a certain formula for like this percentage of people in business versus mm -hmm. the arts versus diplomacy? Yes. yes, so we have goals for every industry. Mm -hmm. um, really it's a mix of business, education, government, technology, science, um, and of course, art, artists and arts leaders. Um, we typically try to cap the amount of artists and arts leaders at 20% who are involved in this day. And the goal behind that is really that we don't want to preach to the converted. The, sure. the point of this day is actually to convert some of the non-believers, mm -hmm. the folks who you know, are um, spending their entire day in a science lab and, and could be thinking about creativity more and the way that it interacts with the brain when, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when reaching the conclusion that they're looking for. Um, so for us, it's really exciting to say, you know, you, you come to Lincoln Center for the opera maybe 10 times a year on Saturday nights. Come, come during your work day and actually think about how your community, your industry, mm -hmm. um, your company can be, uh, you know, really um, changing the way it's doing things by thinking about integrating art, creativity, innovation into, into your day to day, being, being less um, profit driven and, sure. and, and more focused on um, ways in which uh, business can be done differently. And how did you land on the ideas for the inaugural seminar? Sure. I call it a seminar? Um, on cities, art and cities, art and education, and art and science. Sure. So we thought a lot about the themes. We always start with a group of about 20. Is it art and global <laughs> health? Is it art and women's rights? Is it um, you know, art and social justice? And There's so many. In year one, it was really important to us to think about sort of breadth versus depth. Uh, mm -hmm. We wanted to give a very big spectrum, a wide spectrum for, um, for the, the audience to sort of latch onto so that mm -hmm. we could actually see what resonated and then zone in on that, zoom in on that in year two and beyond. Um, so we started with art and science in the morning. Uh, we had just a fascinating uh, series of conversations with people like Nolan Gasser, who's the chief musicologist of um, Pandora, who wow. essentially created the algorithm for the personalized mm -hmm. playlist. Nolan is actually partnering with Sloan uh, Memorial Cancer Center to come up with a personalized playlist 
that he thinks will help ease cancer symptoms. Wow, and his fantastic. theory is that, you know, if we can cancer get symptoms. cancer okay. symptoms, so if we can get this, use that same algorithm and apply it to essentially a wellness suite of music that is personalized mm -hmm. per patient, he thinks music actually has the ability to heal. heal. Uh, so he himself has composed a series of just gorgeous music that he performed alongside several Juilliard students last year, um, which of course had everyone in tears, um, mm -hmm. but then really explained the science behind um, integrating music into the plans. And uh, it's it's the early uh, early innings on the project mm -hmm. he's doing with them, but we're checking in often and it's, it's fascinating work. Fantastic. Um, so have you been able to track some of the other maybe growth that has come from that initial conference. I know when I initially met you in December, that was something that the Global Exchange was really focused on, was being able to track benefits from the initial conference. Absolutely. It's it's more challenging than you think. I no um, doubt. And be very it's hard. interesting because one tactic we like to say is, is but for. But for the Global Exchange, <laughs> those two people wouldn't have met. That collaboration wouldn't yes. have happened. Um, this investment wouldn't have made, wouldn't have been made. So there's a lot of um, hope in the fact that the the folks that are sitting next to one another, the um, the cross uh, disciplinary collaboration that's born out of the exchange mm -hmm. can actually really take flight. Tracking that, I'll be very honest, is incredibly difficult. Mm -hmm. um, so one tactic we used was we we followed up with every single person who came in year one. We had either a 30-minute phone conversation wow. or a sit-down meeting, and we said to them, you know, who did you meet that, that you were fascinated by? What presentation resonated the most? Um, was there a, an arts-based intervention or solution that that you learned about that day that you could see actually uh, working in, in your community. Um, so it was uh, an just incredibly in-depth yeah. follow-up. <laughs> it was. It was a bit pain, painful, <laughs> but uh, so worthwhile because mm -hmm. truly we wouldn't be where we are in year two had we not mm -hmm. gathered that feedback. Absolutely. Um, and some people said, look, I came because my friend told me to and I wasn't really sure what the day was. I planned to spend an hour and my assistant was calling me for you know, six hours trying to track me down and I just couldn't bear to leave. Um, and it was really because they just um, typically separate art from, you know, uh, the work they're doing in economic mm -hmm. and social development instead of actually integrating it and, and really thinking about um, the emotional value mm -hmm. in, in uh, the, what the arts can do. And taking that feedback that you received and maybe some other learnings from how that day went last year, what will be changing for the 2016 edition? So one big change is that we we realized we did a lot of talking at the audience. Um, mm. and, and in year one, as I said, it was a breadth over depth uh, approach. It was, you know, throwing a bunch of things at the, you know, a bunch of spaghetti at the wall and seeing, <laughs> seeing what stuck, essentially. Um, and so in year two, uh, you know, we really valued the feedback that everyone in the audience felt as though their voice should have been heard more than it was. Um, you know, of course we had renowned speakers on stage, mm -hmm. but um, there were not as many Q&A sessions as people would have liked and uh, small group discussions. So in year two, we have uh, narrowed our number of themes from three to two. Mm -hmm. And we have which are which are art and conflict mm -hmm. and art and the environment, um, and the the very quick reasoning behind those two is, um, you know, 
what what is going to be top of mind at the UN this year? We essentially pulled from the headlines, and we know that the world is incredibly focused on you know, the amount of hate permeating through the entire world um, and conflict. And, and by conflict, we mean a whole variety of things, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and also climate change. You know, art and, and environment is a, is a incredible intersection to zoom in on because there are a million fascinating ways in which artists are helping raise awareness about okay. environmental challenges um, and yet climate change is one of those things that is uh, is is very aerial view it's very hard to really tangibly understand mm-hmm. um, what it's doing to the earth and so artists are huge or playing a huge part in actually uh, raising awareness and allowing people to through data visualizations mm-hmm. and all sorts of things, um, Nat Geo photographers who are going along on mm-hmm. trips with NASA, um, they're really uh, making a big wave and just helping with public understanding. Making something that's so intangible, deeply tangible. Exactly. Um, so we have two themes we're very excited about, and then we've also carved out what we're calling studio sessions, okay. which is a 90-minute uh, a small group discussion. Everyone will have a chance to choose which studio they would like to participate in. There'll be about 35 to 40 people per room, and uh, we will essentially give them an opportunity to be sort of roll up their sleeves with either a certain program that exists that we're presenting that has a fantastic idea about how to scale up but doesn't quite know how to do that. Um, they'll be looking to the audience to say, you know, what what are my next steps? How do I take this? pop-up theater in a refugee camp in Calais that worked so well in one place and make a thousand of them. Um, and so the audience will will essentially feel like stakeholders in that project once that 90 minutes wow. is done. And who's going to be facilitating those studio sessions? So we'll have a facilitator in each room, mm-hmm. um, you know, likely thought leaders and thought partners that we're engaged with throughout the year on some of mm-hmm. these issues. Um, and then we've really carefully gone from about 50 submissions for these studios down to um, what will be eight total. And actually two of those eight sessions will not be focused on a specific program, mm-hmm. um, but rather will be a, uh, one of which will be a, a conflict resolu- resolution expert who will come in and basically look at the crowd and say, okay, where does conflict exist in your day-to-day, in your life? Let's all talk about different tactics to, um, to really mm-hmm. uh, break down the feelings you have about that conflict and what you can personally be doing more in your day-to-day. Um, and specifically, that's, uh, she's also, a, uh, her name is Dana Casperson. She's a former principal dancer of William yes. Forsyth Company. Mm-hmm and has since become this amazing expert in conflict resolution, mm-hmm. and she'll actually be leading that entire exercise through choreographic uh, dance. So I was reading about her on your list of um, featured speakers and yeah. like other speakers as well, and I saw that she addresses conflict resolution through like choreographic thinking, mm-hmm. and I remember bracketing that and being like, what does yes. that look like? It's fascinating. She's asked for 40 chairs, uh, you know, six whiteboards, a projection screen. She has plans to throw really drastic statements that really will help inspire conversation mm-hmm. up on those screens, um, inspire one-on-one dialogues amongst people facing each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely not for the um, the person who's a little nervous about rolling up their business suit sleeves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we felt like we had to we had to include artists in some mm-hmm. of those exercises. Similarly, we're working with a former ABT dancer named John Michael Shirt, 
who is a fantastic, oh my gosh, such an inspirational guy. He also founded the Trey McIntyre Project oh, wow. in Boise, Idaho, mm -hmm. um, and is now the visitor uh, artist and, visiting artist in residence at Booth School of Business in Chicago. Wow. He is um, going to lead a workshop essentially about the role that, uh, that artists, specifically dancers, can play in helping companies uh, infuse their work with more innovation. So he is more on an industry side, mm -hmm. uh, really focusing in on the power of creativity in the workplace mm -hmm. um, and had a feature in The Economist recently. And, and it's just um, uh, a really uh, fascinating, fascinating mm -hmm. guy. And he'll actually be bringing two dancers from American Ballet Theater to demonstrate some of the points. Oh, wow. And so how do you go about constructing this panel and endless list of wonderful humans that will yes, be presenting. Yes. I know there's a huge swath of people to choose from mm -hmm. and there's over so many such a variety of fields. I'm wondering what the selection process looks like. Sure. So we haven't figured out the, the right formula just yet, I'll be honest. Um, and I think that one thing we've done a lot of is just mm -hmm. picking the brains of uh, you know established and um, mm -hmm. successful conferences like the World Economic Forum and, and Clinton Global Initiative, for our friends at the UN, um, really in, you know, how do you find the right examples that mm -hmm. will really resonate with people? Um, so I think that typically we'll, we'll sort of take from the headlines as much as possible, you know, sort mm -hmm. of in order to line up our keynotes and the big major moments, for instance, Mayor Bloomberg will be speaking in the morning this yeah. year, um, essentially about the role of art in, you know, uh, resiliency for cities and the the importance of art as a source of vibrancy mm -hmm. that, you know, probably would, you know, without which would leave cities very sterile and, and mm -hmm. the world very sterile. Um, so I think we start sort of with our keynote moments, and then when we're thinking about each plenary, really our goal is not to cover the entire you know, spectrum of, of how art is dealing with conflict, we'd be up all night, which we are anyway. Um, but we essentially look for uh, the most inspiring examples that we know would really catalyze our audience to, you know, get up and do something. Mm -hmm. And we're very fortunate in that we're Lincoln Center um, and that we have access to um, such a wide variety of artists because mm -hmm. for us, um, infusing each session with performance that can actually do some of the talking um, helps us helps set us apart from you know other convenings where you know you're sort of throwing a spoken word artist in mm -hmm. just to just to have the artist represented. We we're more interested in what that spoken art you know mm -hmm. word artist is is saying um, and how we can actually illustrate the concepts being discussed. Exactly. Yes, proof is in the pudding. Uh, exactly. So one brief example from year one that that I always reference is. Uh, we had this fascinating panel about the positive effects of uh, dance on Parkinson's disease. Oh. And the panel consisted of this amazing neuroscientist, Claire Henchcliffe. Uh, Michael J. Fox came and joined us, and also the director of uh, a film called Capturing Grace, which just came out about this very topic. Um, they got into the nitty-gritty of you know, the, the power that dance has on, on Parkinson's patients and, and literally allowing them to utilize, interact with their brain in a different way. So they would 
you know, tell their foot to move and walk across the room and nothing would happen. Yeah. Uh, and then five minutes later, they'd put on their favorite opera and literally they're floating across the room. Oh. So following that conversation, which was inspiring in, its, mm -hmm. in and of itself, we actually had uh, 10 folks from the, uh, 10 dancers from the uh, Mark Morris Dance for PD program come to the stage and perform a piece which just blew everyone away. They all needed assistance in getting to the stage. The moment the music started, it was like they had transformed into professional dancers. It was just incredible. Yeah. Um, so through that moment and being able to actually show and mm -hmm. not necessarily just tell, right. uh, our point was made. Whew. As someone who um, <laughs> had a grandparent with Parkinson's, that one hits close to mm -hmm. home and I know how truly disabling that disease is. So to imagine him, like the big yeah. bullish man that he was dancing is even, yeah. even more special. Well, Dance for PD is now in 100 cities around the mm -hmm. world. It's affecting, you know, so many people in a positive way. And it's, it's run by this incredible guy named David Leventhal, um, who will be with us at this year's conference. And he's devoted his life, really, to using the arts to improve um, the lives of folks with that disease. So yeah. that's really special. Yeah. Um, someone else I saw on your list who immediately struck me as a very impressive figure and had some wonderful things to say was Samantha Power, mm -hmm. the United States permanent representative to the UN. She had this great quote talking about art that it humanizes the other. Mm -hmm. And I was hoping that you could speak to that idea of humanizing the other in terms of the overall mission for the global exchange. Sure. So I think that, you know, Samantha's goal specifically at the conference will be talking about essentially peace building um, as, you know, a necessity in conflict zones and the role that art can play in that. Mm -hmm. And there really are just a, especially as we learn more and more every day, an, an amazing amount of examples of, um, of how, that, how that works, how that happens. Um, it's funny, Samantha is just so renowned in her entire resume, and yet... Her resume is <laughs> difficult to read. I just keep yeah, what? Yeah, it's impossible. It makes me feel true. like, I don't even know, <laughs> what am I doing with my life? Um, but no, but she, she, every time we touch base with her office, she keeps saying to us, uh, there is this thing about the power of arts that I watch everywhere I go, but I never hear talked about, she said. You know, there mm -hmm. has not been one thing mentioned um, about the arts in one of the, dem in, in one of the debates. No, um, and, and she says, so I cannot wait to get in front of this crowd of my peers, not necessarily mm -hmm. artists and arts leaders, but the businessman, the tech exec, the um, you know, government leaders that I work with every day and say, art matters and here's mm -hmm. why. Um, and really a lot of that has to do with the, as I was saying earlier, the emotional uh, wellness that, it, that I think sits right next to physical wellness. So, you know, an example right. she uses is, yes, of course, you know, folks in these refugee camps are worried about what they're going to eat the next day and mm -hmm. what they're going to drink and the health of their children. But they need a reason to live and the arts mm -hmm. provide them with this emotional sense of well-being and um, worthiness. So, you know, there, there's, a, there's a theater called the Good Chance Theater. Mm -hmm. It was uh, recently demolished. We are devastated to hear of that, but in, in a jungle in Calais, started by the director Stephen Daldry, British director Stephen Daldry. Yeah. Um, it was very successful and is still a fantastic example, and Stephen will be with us in, in September to talk about the, um, the creation of it. 
but essentially the role of this pop-up theater was to give refugees a, plan, a chance to come in and not feel like they're labeled as a refugee, right. but as an individual who has something to say. Um, and there were works of art being put on in you know many different languages. There was a sense of um, sort of united togetherness that you couldn't find anywhere else in the camp. In you know through the use of drums, through the use of spoken word, through the use of theater, through the use of embodying a character that allows you to yell from the rooftops in a way you don't feel like you can as yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think in in humanizing the other, it's really about. You know how can uh, how can we play up the importance of this emotional wellness using art and, and culture, um, give people a reason to to exist, mm-hmm. so that you know the physical wellness comes along for the ride. You know, I just found it so poignant, particularly given, as you said, the lack of an emphasis on the art and mm-hmm. modern political discourse, particularly mm-hmm. here in the states as we're going through this election, mm-hmm. and to see how much other. Ad- otherization there is in the rhetoric that's being spewed that like all of our problems are coming from these outside sources who are you know people um, (laughs) just like you and me and the idea that we need to instead of looking at our globalized world and panicking and looking to then go into isolationism to actually embrace and empathize Mm -hmm. and how the arts can help us in achieving that and how something like the global exchange lays the foundation for the people who do make the policies that allow us to embrace and empathize to really be exposed to new ways of thinking. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Something else I was wondering that you may or may not have seen in last year's or in preparation for this year was... um, a cultural divide in how people respond to the arts and every culture has their own form and variation and expression of different artistic practices but I was wondering if there was a particular cultural response that held more gravitas for the arts or some people that had a harder time accepting it as necessary you know do Australians just look at you and go like you're crazy and like this doesn't (laughs) matter but you know um, people in India are just like instantly convinced, you know, was there a sort of cultural shift or not necessarily as much? Um, It's interesting. I think one thing we try very hard to do is not to define, you know, art as any such, you know, one specific thing, Mm -hmm. um, but instead really, uh, you know, learn from each community that we interact with, uh, Mm -hmm. we being Lincoln Center International and our work sort of across our portfolio. Um, we, we really try to understand what it is about art and culture that um, allows it to thrive in, mm-hmm. in each community. And sometimes that's, you know, for a project we're working on in Sydney, you know, the, the outdoor space, the role of outdoor space and what that does for public convening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in other communities, it's much more about, you know, building big, beautiful uh, concert halls and getting people mm-hmm. into those seats. And, and some communities are actually taking the time to build these big, beautiful halls. Uh, China comes to mind as mm-hmm. a place that just has the most magnificent venues, uh, but really having, a, they're, they're really struggling with how to get, you know, um, uh, con- how to create content that's specific to their heritage and not necessarily mm-hmm. westernized, um, and how to get their community to come and really, um, you know, sit there and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a, an infrastructure problem, but rather um, sort of soft management. Um, but I think that to answer your question, there is not a community in the world that doesn't value the arts, mm-hmm. but in terms of, um, 
you know, finding proper funding for the arts and identifying the ways in which the arts can allow a community to thrive. There's all sorts of varied levels of, of um, you know, uh, emphasis put, mm -hmm. put on the arts. There are communities that don't value it at all, and when you arrive in that city, you can tell. Um, Lincoln Center's job is more so to help them recognize what it could do for right. them. The value they're missing. Um, but I, I think that, you know, in terms of there being cross-border differences, mm -hmm. of course there are. Different art forms are going to be more popular mm -hmm. in some places than others. Um, but we, we like to embrace it all. Great. And to that end of struggling to find funding or to find public interest or to, you know, curate proper content, are you finding it difficult to find an audience for the global exchange? Was there a struggle or some sort of an uphill in getting that off the ground and making people see to see the value in it? Sure, absolutely. I think any any convening like this that has sort of the um, larger than life goals that we do mm -hmm. uh, definitely struggles to get that mission understood in the first few years. I think we're you know we're in year two. We have by no means figured it out. Um, but and our goals feel sort of more realistic for year 10 than they do for year two, to be very <laughs> yeah. honest. And really those goals that I hadn't mentioned before to, you know, inspire further investment in art, in art mm -hmm. and culture and really um, to inspire cross-disciplinary collaboration. So how can we get the scientist and, you know, the... Um, uh, you know, the, the head of a major hospital to work together more? Mm -hmm. um, how can we inspire the businessman to invest in the work that MIT Media Lab is doing? Mm -hmm. um, those goals are, are large, and mm -hmm. I, I think that in terms of getting the right people in our audience, we're very we're fortunate that we are Lincoln Center, that we have an 80-person board that is very supportive of this mission um, and also well-connected and, and can sort of get their networks right. to at least give it a try. Mm -hmm. So I think people were a bit surprised when they walked in in year one and, and saw their peers from all different industries mm -hmm. there uh, and said, gosh, I didn't know you'd be here or you'd be here. And everyone sort of said, okay, I'm here, but now what? What? why? Why am I here? Um, and by the end of the day, I think they had a much stronger sense of what conversation we were trying to start. Um, there are definitely challenges associated with continuing that conversation, and mm -hmm. um, I think one thing to point out is, you know, this is a one this is one day a year. So what happens the other 364 days? Yeah. You know, should we be doing pop up conversations in different cities around the world? Should we be replicating the best conversations that happened that day? Um, you know, in, in in places where people you know live that that couldn't get here for for that mm -hmm. one day. Um, in year, this past year, we, we decided to sort of table that and really try to get year two right sure. <laughs> um, and, and do it even better than we did in year one. But in year three, we're absolutely focused on um, what the exchange looks like beyond that one day. Um, how can we allow these conversations to flourish? And I think one thing that could be very useful, and we, we want it to happen organically, we don't want it to be forced, but our studio sessions... Yeah. could lend themselves to essentially have, you know, task forces that, that meet on the subject of helping that program scale up um, mm -hmm. or uh, expand. And, you know, that could take the form of a quarterly conference call that those folks, you know, listen in on and weigh in. Um, it could be that, you know, everyone takes a trip together to the, the camp where that pop-up right. theater exists and really... Um, understands the value of it and then, mm -hmm. you know, puts together real meaningful plans for how to expand that program. Um, one fascinating example of a workshop that we're going to be uh, focusing on this year is 
the National Endowments for the Arts has, uh, has been partnering with Walter Reed um, and Nico to essentially uh, promote creative therapy in, uh, in veteran hospitals. And it has been so widely accepted at Walter Reed that the government has uh, given funding to expand the program into 12 hospitals uh, around the country. So the NEA says to us, you know, we'd love to come and explain the power of creative therapy when the bottle doesn't work, when, mm -hmm. you know, pills don't work, when medical advances are, you know, uh, the medical world is so advanced these days that literally physical ailments from, you know, being overseas are gone within weeks, but the emotional, um, you know, distress stays for so many years. And so there's a real effort um, that, that the NEA and, and um, the military are, are putting behind just mental, you know, mental well-being. Um, and so the expansion of this program is something that takes a lot of work and a lot of strategy, and one of the studios will be focusing on that expansion. That's going to be exciting. That's an incredible project within itself. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing that that's only one studio yes. kind of all one of these studio. options. <laughs> and so um, following up on that and moving further, do you see that the global exchange is coming at a unique point to capitalize on the mobility and cross-pollination of entertainment? It seems that so many forms of entertainment now mix with one another in different ways. You know, you'll have a concert performance while someone's painting and there's, you know, text on the screen from, you know, a Shakespeare play and you're supposed to take that all in at once. And now it seems as if the global exchange is saying like, fantastic, now let's throw policy on it. Mm -hmm. Now let's throw mm -hmm. um, national or international diplomacy on it. Sure. And is that a consideration in terms of like, moving the project forward, or is it something that you're trying to create that's very distinct and different? So I think if I understand you correctly, the the idea that there's sort of cross-genre collaboration, mm -hmm. cross-medium collaboration already exists, and that's something we embrace very much here at Lincoln Center. We are a place that has opera and ballet and classical mm -hmm. music and theater um, and uh, arts education. Um, so we're always finding unique ways to sort of um, interact with all of those mediums together and, and all at once. I think that for us, we also know that the folks who come to Lincoln Center are, um, are, all, are from all walks of earth and, and all industries. And a lot of the times that is to enjoy art together, um, you know, as a, you know, you know, as a way to enrich their life, to make them empathetic, to sort of gentle their condition. So our goal with this event is, is really to say, okay, now, as I mentioned earlier, get, get out of your head as an audience member and actually roll up your sleeves and become, Great. you know, an active participant. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we're very aware in today's world that sort of cross-disciplinary collaboration is the key to success. It's why... Mm -hmm. You know, sports teams use, you know, actors to send some of their messages across. Mm -hmm. It's why Faith Hill and the Super Bowl music is, right. is so effective. So mm -hmm. the more that we can encourage that kind of cross-industry, cross-border um, uh, intersecting, the better. And how would you like people to walk away from this conference in September? What's the either emotional feeling or like intellectual inspiration you would like the, to have the bulk of? your participants walk away with. Sure. 
Um, I think surprised. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, surprised at the possibilities that they hadn't thought of before. I think inspired to really make a change. It's, It's very easy to you know, uh, spend a fun day with, with Lincoln Center and have a nice lunch and see all your friends. But our goal is really, um, what can you, uh, the individual, do in your, you know, at your dinner table, at the negotiation table mm-hmm. at the UN, um, you know, amongst your peers to make sure that there is an active role for, for art and culture, um, you know, uh, and and to really think about um, art as a as a means of of a, a, a positive change. You know, there are um, a million ways to solve a problem, but a lot of times logic doesn't work. So, can you apply creativity um, in those moments? Can we encourage you to step out of the box and say, okay, you know, dropping uh, those mosquito nets down to that refugee camp? is one thing, but actually using someone creative to explain how to use them because they're very hard to set up, you know, creating a film that helps understand what, how best to interact with them um, is another thing. And so there's, there's always, there's always creativity and it's just often not accessed. So I think if we can inspire people to, to be embracing that and in ways they hadn't thought to before, we'd we'd be happy campers. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your beautiful discourse on all things global exchange. And now to end the interview, as I end every interview, I'm going to ask you seven fun rapid fire questions. Great. Which are much more about you and much less about the global exchange. <laughs> okay. So you get to share a little bit. If you could live anywhere for a year, where would it be? Gosh, I do not know. <laughs> that is a hard question. Um, I think I would say Bali. A book you'd recommend to a friend. I am actually reading, uh, I think it's called The Girls at the moment, the hot summer novel. It's very good, very suspenseful. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Um, a movie you would not recommend to a friend. Oh, goodness. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm we'll like... come back to you. You only see great movies is how our analysis of that. A profession you'd like to have other than your own? Doctor. Hmm. Fantastic. Is there a specific kind of doctor? I'd probably say... Uh, elderly care, believe it or not. I think it's most needed in today's world. Could not agree more. Someone living or dead you'd like to have dinner with? Probably Coco Chanel. (laughs) That's a great choice. I haven't heard that. That's good. And the last two kind of go together. A moment you felt lost? The day I took this job. (laughs) (laughs) Very fair. And a moment you felt like you were on track? The day after the first global exchange. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Leah. Sure. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you.